going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say... You really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor and this is the Radio Times podcast. Every week, I sit down with a celebrity guest from the world of TV or film to talk about their lives, both on and off screen. To my fellow TV enthusiasts, I hope you enjoy listening. This week's guest is Hollywood A-lister Nicole Kidman. I'm sure you can imagine how excited I was to sit down to discuss her glittering, prolific career that spans over four decades. She has starred in almost 100 TV and film projects, picked up all of the most prestigious awards, including an Oscar, BAFTA and six Golden Globes. Nicole Kidman was born in Hawaii to Australian parents. Her father was a biochemist and later a psychologist, and her mother was a nurse educator. Aged three, she moved to Australia, and it was there that she found her love of acting. She headed to Hollywood aged 20 for a starring role opposite Sam Neill in the psychological thriller Dead Calm, and she quickly made her mark. She has since forged a very successful career in an industry renowned for its fickleness. In this episode, we discuss her latest project, Expats, an Amazon Prime drama directed by the Farewell's Lulu Wang. It follows three American women living in Hong Kong whose lives were impacted by a horrific event, the disappearance of a young boy. Nicole plays Margaret, the mother of the missing child. We unpick the emotional impact the role had on Nicole and the importance of having more women behind the lens. Plus, we discuss how inner resilience is a superpower and coming to terms with your height. Nicole Kidman, what an honour it is to have you on the Radio Times podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I can't believe we pulled it off. What a feat. This conversation goes a little bit everywhere. We start with some TV questions, career, and then we talk about your wonderful new project, Expats. Let's kick off with, what is the view from your sofa? Talk me through your living room setup. (laughs) It's a tree. A big tree that's um, it's with no leaves right now, so it's the middle of winter, and 
it's cold out there and we're being told that snow or torrential rain is on its way. So that's what the sky looks like. And what have you enjoyed watching most recently on telly? Uh, the Beckhams. <laughs> <laughs> um, loved, loved watching that over Christmas. And then I've watched um, May, December. Um, mm. And I have, uh, I'm about to start The Curse with Emma Stone. Wow. Okay. Now tell me, who gets control of the remote in your household? Normally, when I ask people with children, it's very much the children that get the say. <laughs> um, we share it. I mean, in terms of of who gets control of the television and what you're, what you're watching, it would probably be, yes, um, Sunny and Faith. And we'll always go on and go, huh, what's this? <laughs> um, mean Girls. Um, but uh, I think when we're just sitting on the couch, it would be Keith. Because I can't be bothered. And I go, can you turn it up? Can you turn it down? Can you fast forward? <laughs> I love that. One of my favourite things that I discovered while doing my research for this was that you said you don't have a TV in the bedroom and that's one of the key tips to a successful marriage. I'm not sure I said key tips. <laughs> I always say, we both always say, everyone to themselves. Yeah. Um, some people that maybe having a TV might be the um, the tip to a successful marriage. But for us, we just choose um, not to ever have it in a bedroom. And then when we go on holiday and there's one, say, in the, in the hotel room, we're like, oh, my gosh, this is so luxurious. And then we sit there and go, oh, and watch TV, which is just dreadful. I don't like sitting in bed and watching TV. When you spend time on the farm, do you mm -hmm. spend most of your time outside getting your hands dirty and far away from the TV? Actually, yeah, because it doesn't work so well out there. So it's one of those things where you, um, yeah, you do have to get outside. We have um, chickens and we have alpacas and goats and horses. So there's a lot to do. And I just love, I love nature. I love being outside. So I know this is all about TV, but um, but my choice will always be um, to be outside. And I love animals. Obviously, you've had such a brilliant and long-lasting career, but I'd say at the moment we seem to be, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, in the golden age of telly. Do you watch more TV or film? I go to the cinema. So I pay money uh, and I and I go and watch. I'll go and see art films. We have a beautiful um, place called the Bell Court here in, in Tennessee and in Sydney I'll go uh, and in London I'll always go. I will go and see like Dream Scenario I saw in the in the cinema. I saw Poor Things in the cinema. And then we'll watch TV will, will be more like, oh, my gosh, I've heard about this great show. And obviously we were, we were through the whole of the COVID time. That was when TV became, we were obsessed because mm. that was all there was to do. Yeah. And it kept most of us sane. And, and that's why I think shows, I don't know if you got it out in America, but shows like Normal People, uh, which had Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Mascow and did incredibly in the UK. And I think it's because we weren't able to touch. And it was a show all about intimacy between two characters. Mm. 
Yes, yes, I did see that. Oh, it was yes, beautiful. You're right. Yes, it wrote, yes, but I read the book first. Yeah. Oh, what a stunning book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about you grew up between Melbourne and Sydney. I was born in Hawaii. Yes. To Australian parents. Um, my father was um, getting his PhD, so we lived in, he was at the University of Hawaii and then moved to the Institute of Health in Washington. And so that was my first three years. And then we moved back to Australia. I lived in Melbourne and then moved up to Sydney. I think when you're very small, and that's been a huge mm. part of your existence, um, we would rent houses and, you know, it was that. I think there's there's something about me that that is just so used to traveling. It's embedded as my husband, who's a musician, so mm. therefore touring is in his blood, and that's just how we are. And I consider the kids to be, I always say, you're global. Yeah. They've got pretty much every stamp in their passport just because of work and travel and and the desire to see the world, and we just have taken them with us wherever we, everywhere we go. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of acting, almost the nomadic lifestyle. And, you know, it has been traditionally when you think about travelling circuses or travelling troops back in the day mm. and how that's evolved and changed. And the exploration of the world. I mean, you get to you get to say, oh, yeah, let's go there. And, and instead of just visiting as a tourist, you're working mm. a lot of the times. So you really get to know the fabric of the of the city or the country um and the people because you're working with them so you're living the place you find the little local places to eat you find you get a rhythm Mm. which is really I I consider it one of the uh, you know highlights of what I do just to bring that back to expats something that I felt when I was watching the show I I think it's got such important underlying political messages wrapped up in in a very interesting and gripping plot at the centre. But something that really left me thinking was there is an isolation sometimes to to moving and a loneliness when you're in a, in a different country. And I wondered if that perhaps related to you at all or if you've always felt very yeah. content. No, because when I was single and I would travel and um, I was... It, a lot of it is is lonely and being slightly introverted, it's sort of pushing out and going, oh, I, I should call that person and see if they want to have dinner or will I just sort of stay in my <laughs> in my in my little room um mm. and not venture out. So I did have a bit of that. Um and then obviously when you become part of a family and there's people to miss if they're not with you, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um I've had many a many a night when I've been like, what am I doing? I want to be with my family. Why am I not with them? And um I think that's also just the state of being of of people working, you know, and you say I'm working and therefore, but I wish I was, I wish I had more time. And um, and I think what expats deals with is the sense of belonging. Where do I belong? Yeah. It's a huge undertone to the show. And then it's also about marriage and 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 grief and motherhood and truth and and um what does motherhood mean and mm. um where where are my roots and do I even have roots and um, who are my family and what does that mean as well? So there's so many underlying themes. I mean, that's the complexity of Lulu 
And I think anyone that saw the farewell knows that she has a strong mm. sense of family as well. And so that's always um, percolating through her, through her material, I think. And she was the showrunner on this show. So she, it was not just the director, she's writer and we had a writer's room um, led by Lulu and Alice Bell, but just this idea of her taking the reins on the whole vision. I just mm. love that when a director does that. And this is six hours of, of Lulu. It's almost like going to the cinema for six hours. It's so beautifully shot. There's a real pace to it and an intensity, but there is a scene in it in which you're taken uh, to a morgue to identify what mm. could be your son. I do wonder, you know, especially as a parent, how do you even begin to get into the headspace of, a, of that? And, and also, how do you step away from that at the end? I mean, it's so deeply moving. Horrendous. It was horrendous. That was probably one of, I just resisted it and resisted it. I kept saying to Lulu, is this all necessary? Does it, can't less be more? Do we have to have this? I just don't, I mean, and I reached, I think, because we were filming it off and on for a long period of time. And it's so many hours. It's not a two-hour film. It's six hours. Um, the state of being of Margaret was terrifying to me after it I went and did a romantic comedy that was so light and so silly I was just like there has to be balance in my life why am I drawn to playing these sort of roles mm. but at the same time the idea of of really authentically telling that story um, without the histrionics because a lot of it is that deep-seated um, place of loss which is not um, the immediate response, which is what you see a lot of times in films, but it's it's the ongoing living with no answers. Yeah. And, and that is just terrifying. It's horrific. But I think also what really comes through is this, how we survive and I think especially mm. as a parent this need to survive when you don't have answers because that sense of looking after a child doesn't go away and how we find solace survive move forward and and deal with trauma you know, a split second happens and that trauma stays with you immigrant versus an expat yes those different themes as well. It was very important to Lulu to have everybody represented from mm. different storylines, which is why episode five was such an important standalone episode and is much longer. Mm. Um, it's so much about the different lenses through which you can see um, living in a country and being privileged in a country and those and the way in which she handles that delicately, I think. Yeah. But to shy away from it is important. The show is beautifully filmed because Anna, who is the cinematographer who also shot The Farewell, is is exquisite. And the construction of their shots, I mean, they're both, both Lulu and Anna are, are cinephiles and you name any film and they're like, yep, yep, this is a reference for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're, you know, the expertise and the, I think, the beauty of this and you know you look at um lulu's partner barry jenkins and you look at lulu and you go these two are a couple who are existing at the top of their game with such i think skills mm. skills in storytelling but skills in all areas of filmmaking 
And it's beautiful to be able to support that on television because you look at Barry's show that he did as well and the two of them, I mean, they're exemplary. You've spoken about it a lot, but producing as much as you do acting and you're an unyielding champion of women and helping get women into the industry behind the screen as much as on the screen. And and this is very much about three women, three different ages, three different ethnicities. Can we talk about how important it is to give other women a leg up? Yeah, I mean, when I when I um, optioned the book and then when we finally got Lulu, we both discussed how, you know, you couldn't be casting this based on on a star, but we needed the money to be able to make it. So my, I see my part in it as is, is, it's an exquisite role, but also it's a supporting role or it's one of a ensemble cast. And finding the two other leads and not having to have them be a name or already, already true and tested in terms of people tuning in to watch something. That was really important to me that we just found the right person and that people were given chances um, and hopefully jump-starting careers or or shining lights on already um, established careers that hadn't quite hit, you know, Mm. through the zeitgeist. I hope this show finds its audience because it's so, um, it's different television, which I love. Mm. And it's got its own um, rhythm. It's its own, um, I think it's sort of like, it hypnotizes you in a way. Mm. And and it works on, and it's also very, smart it's it's really you know there's so much thought and feeling um and intelligence behind the the show and that primarily comes through the the writers that wrote it and lulu her then you know her strong structure and vision for what it was i mean she was unwavering these directors these days they have to be powerful and unwavering and beautifully strong with their voices and therefore they need the support for that. Yeah. I mean, you've previously said that you're only as good as the roles you get. And I think what's interesting or something to reflect on is women haven't always had good roles available to them. They did have them. I mean, in terms of the 30s, the 40s, I mean, we're looking at some of the greatest actresses being given. When you look at Bette Davis and all of these extraordinary um, performances when you look back, mm. um, I think there was there was a period of time when it was very lacking, and hopefully that's being um, redirected now. But um, it's partly because we're all saying, "Well, come on, let's put these women behind the lens. Let's give them their voices in terms of writing." But let's also, um, and it was beautifully put by Lily Gladstone. You need your allies, and yeah she was talking in terms of culturally but i'm talking in terms of just in terms of making making things we need our allies not just in terms of um directors and um but we need financially we need in the press we need you know influence all of those people to support so that that so that that moves forward and that's not gender related that's just who who are our allies and who actually want want to just see these stories because they're they're riveting or fascinating mm. or they unearth things that we're 
we have been contemplating in our psyches or our unconscious, but not really vocalizing. Absolutely. Look, let me, uh, we skipped a little bit about the career. So let's rewind. <laughs> Sorry, we can skip I, that. We don't we care got, about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me, what's your first ever TV memory? Of watching TV? Oh, well, bewitched. <laughs> very much related to the witch I mean wanted to be her and realized very early on I didn't have any magical powers it's always got <laughs> no matter I how enough. much I moved that nose or wanted <laughs> to or <laughs> but I I really sort of I was like oh please come on it has to and I remember sitting there going just give me trying to sort of cast spells and being like why doesn't it work so, <laughs> and the Brady Bunch I watched just because it, I was not one of a big family. So the desire mm-hmm. to be part of a big family and there to be lots of noise and it was always bustling and everyone, even if they were in a bad mood, it wasn't a very dangerous bad mood. It always seemed sort of fun. <laughs> the house was fun. It definitely didn't seem lonely. When did you first get the inkling that you wanted to be an actor? Oh, four, four or five. I'm not sure I knew what acting was, but I loved the performance part of it. And it also took me away from having to do schoolwork because, you know, when we were doing the end of year play or the Christmas pageant or whatever it was we were doing, that was like, oh, this is just so exciting and fun. And I don't have to be a part of now. I don't have to sit down and and study. I can I can study lines, but that's fun. And so I think and that's to this day, it's it is fun. There's mm-hmm. an element of surprise and curiosity, and you never know what's gonna happen. The beauty mm-hmm. of what we do is there isn't any um map and you get to kind of make your own. I have to tell you this story of I was about 13 and I was having a, a hard time at school because I'd returned from the summer holidays and discovered that I was no longer a an average height. And I went to an all-girls school, so the average height was a lot smaller than I was, which yeah. was at 13 years old, 5 foot 11. Um, oh! Now... Now five foot eleven and a half, uh-huh. but I will never say six foot because I am no! half an inch off. But I was having a really hard time with bullying at school, and I really desperately wanted to be an actress. And I remember coming home and crying to my mum, and saying, "You know, all these girls are making awful comments." And she went to work, and the next day she came to pick me up from school, and in her hands she had a list of tall actresses uh, which included you Angelina Jolie Tilda Swinton and she said if these ladies can do it you can do whatever you want and look at these people you're never gonna feel bad because look at these women who have paved the way brilliant but it's not always easy is it no I'm 5'11 um I say 5'10 and a half but I'm (laughs) 5'11 Um, and uh, yeah, I was teased. <laughs> um, I was called Storky, and they'd always be like, "How's the air up there?" Oh, isn't it? Um, or oh, you're so tall. I never yes, noticed. I still get that. I don't. Oh. Still get that. Oh my always. god, you're so much taller than I thought. Is what I get. 
Um, and, yeah. and then sort of grappling with how high my heels should be. And I'm always like, oh, can't they make, whenever you go on the red carpet, they send the shoes and the shoes are always so high. And I'm like, do they have a kitten heel? No, <laughs> no. And the dress is made this long and the model who wore it must have been, you know, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, I'm just going to be like the tallest person. The giraffe. Does it still bother you? Um. It'll bother me in the sense of when I'm acting and I want to be small or I want to be this or I want to be that. There's times when I appreciate it because then it's got some sort of, you know, it, when it's related to what I'm doing, I go, okay, I can use this now. But a lot of the time still I'm going, oh, but hey, I'm incredibly grateful to be healthy and walking around. I mean, with that said, mm. you know, I've had knee issues and all sorts of things partly because of my height. Oh, gosh. Right? Have I you? know. Not yet. Although now you say that, I am actually currently having physio for my yeah. knee. I'm 27 years old. That shouldn't the be muscles a thing. strong is what I say because we don't have the muscle mass around our joints in the same way as, oh as people that are, that are shorter. Yeah, so you have to really work at keeping the muscles. It's incredibly boring. Have you ever been told by anyone else that it would impact your career? Yes, I was told you won't have a career, you're too tall. And I remember auditioning for Annie. Um, which was just one of those sort of big mm. you know, call-outs where, like, hundreds and hundreds of people, I didn't have an agent or anything, I just showed up. Um, my mum's like, oh, please, do we have to? How long is this going to take? And I had to talk my way through the door because they were measuring you before you went in. I was mortified. I know. And I was over the over the um, mark. I think you had to be sort of 5'2", and I was maybe 5'4", and I'm like, please, please, and they did let me in. So thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get in. I didn't even get to a call back, but yeah, you know, at least I got to sing four lines of um a chorus line, one. I sang yeah. one yellow sensation. First four lines of it. And then they said, Thank you. <laughs> no. But at yeah. least you got your foot in the door and that all of that practice, all of that rejection, eventually yeah. something will open. So we experienced a lot of that. But then also experienced the opposite where they were like, we're going to take a bet on you and it doesn't matter about your height and it doesn't matter. So that's what it's always, and I tell my daughters, none of it matters. Just what yeah. does matter is how you allow other people to um, either say yes or no to you and whether you accept that. Because mm. the, the, the resilience, which is what we were talking about even with the show, is that that inner resilience as a human being is one of the it's that's the superpower really yeah. above all above all superpowers i heard you um talking about as a young person roaming around europe and spending mm. time in amsterdam and paris mm -hmm. and yeah. it re really made me smile imagining you know 17 year old nicole kidman just <laughs> living and experiencing because they do say that the best actors and actresses have a wealth of lived experience that they can mine and I, I wonder what that freedom at that age shaped you almost enormously and I recommend it and that's part of the resilience because you're like oh my gosh I've just had this stolen I have nothing how what what am I going to do how do I um oh no I've, I've we've arrived in this city and we have nowhere to stay and we didn't sort of pre-plan we didn't think um, okay, now we have to try and find a bed somewhere. Um, 
And then just that sort of scrappy and and also that random thing of going, oh, where should we go now? What country? What place? We've got this much money left. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, well, we could not eat for a day and and then be able to go to that museum or, you know, so it's always Mm. contemplating what's more important. We could skip dinner um, or we could have dinner and then go to this free, I remember, um, hiking up to the top and seeing um, Sacrosa and it was on midnight and all the candles were on and, I mean, that was nothing, cost nothing and it was one of the most beautiful things. But And I got to have some dinner. And do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Limited funds. Lots of boundless energy and um, a voracious appetite for um, seeing the world. I don't think that ever goes away. I think there's something that is perhaps worth asking is obviously when you have such success with your career, especially in acting, it can, I guess, fame have limitations in terms of freedom. And I wonder how you've dealt with the fame element in terms of being recognised and if that has stopped you in some senses exploring. At times I've been, um, I've had to sort of take precautions. um, But at the same time, you know, I think if you just plan it well and and not be frightened of the of the interactions with people. You just go, oh, right? Most people are just like, hey, I love this. Or, hi, is that, are you? Yeah. And as soon as you say, yeah, but I'm just here with my family or um, I'm just trying to do this, you know, under the radar, there's an enormous amount of support for that from mm. people. And being just one of many and I've, I, I love doing um, walking trips through Italy and, you know, with a backpack. We love doing that as a family. We love going down to, um, we love hiking together. Uh, maybe my girls would say differently, but they still have to do it. Um, but there's something about just getting your sandwiches in town and then going for a four-hour hike and seeing. Um, we did Tasmania a year ago and that was just exquisite. Wow. I- highly recommend it but we've done Scotland Ireland Italy Morocco you know where it's been very much on foot and that's been really fun oh that sounds stunning or on camel on camel (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that. I recommend that too. Ooh, I I'm not sure. That's that's maybe one too far. But it, Italy walking, delightful. Italy walking, you'll do. There's also cycling. Ooh, <laughs> that's that's one step too far, Nicole. I have <laughs> yeah. to admit. Although good for the knees. I choose walking over the cycling. <laughs> Um, fame has obviously changed as well over the course of your career because tabloids and papers that would be in the ether for a few days have been exchanged for the internet and articles that can live forever. Did that change the way fame felt? Did it make you maybe step away from the press? Did it make coverage more intrusive? Did you feel you had to react more? Um, Probably more oblivious. I definitely don't Google myself or do anything like that. People will send me or say something and I'm like, ah, I'd rather stay um, in a bubble in a way and not Mm. that aware because I'm not quite sure what all that noise is anyway Uh, and what sticks and what doesn't stick. and, And I think when you just look at a life 
the idea of being um, stopped or bogged down by, you know, this sort of this flickering noise or statements or things or ideas or identities that people attach to you. The the truth is um, usually much simpler. <laughs> mm. And I think just knowing knowing who I am in the sense of who I am and what I believe in and what I do um, and having the people around me that I really, really care for and being able to really have that those connections strongly, that is the protection. There were a few interviews that I listened to in the earlier days of your careers and you were quite young. What was I like? <laughs> it was so sweet. And I and I felt some of the questions, I almost felt defensive because I thought, well, that's not appropriate. It's sexist. So I don't even know how you'd muster the courage to ask some of those questions because it just felt inappropriate. I wonder if actually over the course of your career and as you get older and you, and you learn more about yourself, if you felt more able to say, actually, no, or if there was an expectation in earlier days to act or be more placid or have to be polite or just deal with things yeah well just that sense of and how I was raised of being polite and handle things head on and learning to to realize you don't have to have an opinion on anything everything and you don't have to um, respond to everything Um, that's probably part of maturity at the same time there's a sense of wanting to connect and go okay well let's have you know it's very hard sometimes because you're at a dinner party talking or you're with your best friend talking, you share everything. You're like, oh, you remember this and that. And then suddenly you step into the public arena and it's like, and you want it to be the same. Yeah. Um, And it's not. And forgetting that. And I think that happens, that happened when I was young. And at the same time wanting to be polite, yeah. And respectful, respectful of um, what I'd been given so the the idea of having a boundary or going, oh, actually that feels really invasive and I feel uncomfortable, mm. uh, that was just not part of the language. I'm so glad it is now. It's like even at school, I don't feel comfortable with that is okay to say massively and it's it's so healthy yeah well that's a massive step (laughs) that was definitely not part of my um my upbringing or my language at all Mm. I I couldn't fathom it and it took a long time to learn it I mean a huge movement that we saw was the me too movement and I wonder if you can reflect on how you and your friends in the field were treated before and after that happened and and how pivotal that movement was for how women are treated safely, not only in in Hollywood, but across the world. Well, all people. Yeah. I think there's now a structure that's in place that just allows protection. It's not infallible. It's still not infallible. But at the same time, when you have intimacy coordinators now, as that's that's very helpful. I think it's very helpful for directors too, mm. um, because and actors and and crew who are like, I'm not sure about what what is this. Yeah. You know, those things just go. Okay, there's a bit of a structure here because we're doing some weird things. It feels weird to be doing this. Um, yeah, but there's some structure so we can have it not feel so weird and still artistically explore, and the sense of just knowing that there is and I suppose I've worked I was raised by a feminist mother but I've worked in the field of um violence against women for the UN for decades now way before 
um, any Time's Up movements or any of those. Yeah. And I think part of the thing that we were always and are always um, advocating for is laws, protective laws, because once you have a place to go where you go, well, actually this is this is not okay and it's illegal, mm-hmm. there's structure there, there's a place, and then knowing who to call or how you do that so that it stays very, but at the same time we want, we're, we're artists, we want to explore things and have have the ability to um, release into what we do because so much of what we do is emotional mm. and unusual and weird. And so we want we want the weirdness. We don't want to homogenise things because that's not good either, right? Exactly. As you start to go, well, you can only do this and only do that, oof, that's a, those rules are get a little... No, we can do it, but with respect, structure, and remembering hum- the human being yeah. and being caring. Absolutely. And you struck upon it there a little bit, but something that your character in Expat says about being a, a stay-at-home mum, there's a scene where she gets a little bit defensive about it because she's not <laughs> yeah. a stay-at-home mum. She is working, but the work is dried up because she of... She gave up her work to move. Yeah to Hong Kong with her husband, which I think is a... It's a huge thing. So there's a slight resentment to that because it's like I was really doing what I love doing and Mm. I've moved here for you, for our marriage, for our children and your job, but what about me? Do you think that's something that will resonate with a lot of women watching it, that kind of pressure or also maybe a, a... a shame to stay at home that I don't think is fair, but one that maybe we're now forced to feel a little bit? I hope there isn't that sense of... I hope in our society that's been alleviated a bit because we know um, now whatever you choose, the choices is... um, I mean, whatever you're choosing to do as a woman in terms of motherhood or a working mother honor those things and all of all women should be honored for that and also if there's a stay-at-home father okay yeah. I think I think the boundaries for what we set now hopefully are so much are so blurred now that nobody puts as much judgment on those things I mean the most important thing is that we're raising children with love and respect and boundaries and but we're present in terms of of listening and and loving and caring and guiding. It's a tricky world out there now and you need you need the people on your side to really be on your side. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Nicole, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Radio Times podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Lovely conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to listen to my conversation with national treasure Dame Emma Thompson or Breaking Bad's Brian Cranston. Both episodes can be found by scrolling back through the Radio Times podcast feed. Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast with me, your host, Kellyanne Taylor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps other TV and film lovers find us. Until next Tuesday, happy viewing. <laughs>